0: Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. I almost missed it, but it's the two-year anniversary of the creation of the podcast, so I want to thank you all for listening, which, the episode's still coming, but it's been a long two years and things have happened, but I'm just as surprised as you guys that I've been able to keep up this long. Also, it's apparently the 51st episode, which surprised me, although I'm sad that I missed mentioning it on the 50th, but 51st will have to do for now. I'm happy we got this far into the war, But we still have 16 years to go in the war or so, so this will probably take a couple more years to finish, which I'm excited for. But with that out of the way, let's get started. So last time we talked about the reignition of the war in full. Granted, the war didn't come to a peace, but it had cooled down and there wasn't really major fighting. So let's start with the Battle of Bamberg. With the attack on Bamberg by Horn that I mentioned last episode, fully aggressive war really began. Chile gathered 22,000 men, which included 8,000 men from Bavarian garrisons. and marched north from Nordlingen on March 9th, 1632. The Swedes only had two regiments in the area and the rest of the 12,000 men were recruits that had been gathered from Bohemian exiles and local forces. The League forces quickly dispatched Horn's cavalry outpost to the southeast of the city, and the fleeing troops reached the incomplete fortifications around the suburbs east of the Regnitz River, which panicked the defenders, which did no good for their morale, and as the Imperials reached the outskirts of the city, they overwhelmed the defenders overall, but the fighting became particularly intense around the bridge that would give access to the main city from the west. The bridge was retaken by two important regiments, but they were driven back when Tilly bombarded them with two heavy guns. The fighting lasted them until midday, when the Swedes retreated, abandoning the city. The Swedes lost around one-third of their forces, mostly from Desertion and they retreated to Schweinfurt. So, Tilly ultimately had the advantage here more numbers, and he could use his numbers and skills that he had to secure a relatively easy victory, which showed the Catholics could still win field victories. It also could and did put a bit of a hamper on the momentum of the Swedes, which had been slower than Gustavus had wanted in the last several months. But, though Tilly had won with relatively light casualties, he was still too weak to chase after the enemy. Though, Gustavus was forced to keep Tilly from taking advantage of this weakness in his line lines. Lines being the strategic big picture lines, not the individual battle lines. Wartenberg hesitated to fully sign the alliance of Sweden in the face of this defeat, which was another reason Gustavus had to act. Gustavus quickly began moving, gathering his forces including Horn's men, and entered Nuremberg, and was hailed as the Lion of Midnight. Within a week of that, he had captured Donauwörth, although that was tempered by the indiscriminate massacre of the certain Catholic soldiers there. He did, however, receive reinforcements increasing his number, 37,000 men and 72 guns, giving him the confidence needed to attack into Bavaria. Gustavus did have to deal with a dilemma, however. He could not attack the northern and southern banks of the Danube at the same time, so he decided to attack the southern bank, especially due to the rich city of Munich being there. In order to do this, he needed to cross the Lech River, which crossed into the Bavarian Mountains in Lower Swabia. The main bridge to cross was at Augsburg, which was guarded by 5,000 Bavarian soldiers. The other main crossing was at Reins, which was secured by the Catholic League. Tilly at Reins fortified his position with 20 Twenty-one thousand men and twenty guns on the firm ground south of Rains. The terrain was made up of several smaller streams that created a sixty to eighty meter wide river. And due to the heavy rains, the land had become marshy, making it hard across the area. The water was also overflowing, making the water deeper with fast flows and making it harder to ford. This would be a major obstacle to Gustavus attacking the enemy, so he still decided to attack at Rains, not wanting to deal with the entrenched forces at a bridge, which would reduce his advantage in numbers. After sending out scouts, Gustavus learned the only way to cross the terrain was five kilometers to the south where there would be an island that allowed soldiers to ford across the river. He began his attack on April 14th with an artillery bombardment of Tilly's camp trying to draw Tilly's attention hoping that Tilly would think this was where the Swedes would begin the attack from. Meanwhile the Swedish troops bridged the channel and by the next morning 334 Finnish troops with the promise of five months worth of pay crossed the eastern side of the river and bridged the other side. The army began to cross covered by artillery and other musketeers. Tilly reacted quickly, sending forces down to intercept, and a fight started south of his camp. The Swedes, however, to the Imperial surprise, had sent 2,000 elite cavalry further south, which arrived at the battle around 4pm, changing the balance. Aldringen was wounded in one eye until they received the injury I mentioned last week, leaving command to Maximilian, who ordered a retreat. The League lost around 3,000 men, including as part of the retreat, while the Swedes lost around 2,000 men. The garrison at Augsburg saw the defeat, and to save themselves the horror of war, Abandoned the city for the Swedes to take. It was a smaller battle, but we know the Catholic League lost Tilly two weeks later, so it did more damage than initially seemed. Granted, the Imperial still did have a skilled commander in Wallenstein, but losing Tilly was still a blow. Maximilian reinforced the garrisons at Ingolstadt and Regensburg, retreating north of the Danube. Gustavus tried to take Ingolstadt, but lost 2,000 more men in the attempts and had to pull back. In response to that failure, Gustavus pillaged southern Bavaria, finding 119 buried cannons along with pillaging other supplies. He would hope this would force Maximilian to talk peace, but the Bavarian elector refused to talk. The Bavarians then waged a guerrilla war against the Swedes, particularly against those who were plundering their land. While this wasn't enough to drive him back, it probably did frustrate Gustavus. And with this defeat, Württemberg joined Sweden along with the rest of Swabia, and Gustavus left to confront the army of Wallenstein, which will be covered in the next section. So Bavaria was devastated by this, having avoided most of it before as they were neutral or hadn't been in the war zone, but even they realized without a skilled commander or a strong army, it was hard to beat Gustavus in the fields. At sieges maybe, but not on the fields. But Gustavus' bigger worry now wasn't the Catholic League, it was the Imperial Forces. Wallenstein, with a rebuilt army of 65,000, advanced into Bohemia from the name, with half of those forces. The Saxons, who had been fighting there, resistance crumbled, or collapsed, and the local support of the Imperials, having been disillusioned by the occupying forces, even including the Protestants of the area. However, Maximilian decided against invading Saxony, so he left Ruth behind to guard the area and marched west to meet Maximilian at Eger on July 1st. The two men generally got along and showed each other respect, especially knowing that both of them were very different, unlike Tilly and Wallenstein, who were both competing generals. So that was good for cooperation. Gustavus, on the other hand, knew Johann George was negotiating with Wallenstein, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, so he didn't ask for his aid, so he marched north, entrenching himself at Nuremberg on June 16th. He heard about an imperial detachment coming to engage him, and instead of retreating to link up with more of his forces, he stayed in the city not wanting to lose it, as it would be a major blow. He conscripted 6,000 men from the city who dug a huge ditch around the city, and the cavalry stayed outside in order to maintain communications and supply lines. He also used 300 cannons barred from the city's arsenal and was waiting for more of his forces to reinforce him. Wallenstein arrived on July 17th, and instead of engaging the Swedes, he put them under siege, planning to starve them out. He built a large camp around 16 kilometers in circumference at Zerndorf, and the Imperials took control of the roads into Nuremberg, and cavalry patrolled those roads to prevent supplies and other people from seeking in. Gustavus had at this time around 18,000 men, but he also had to deal with around 40,000 locals and 100,000 refugees who had been flooding in from the war, so his supplies were being stretched thin. This situation wasn't good, and it wouldn't last long, and to counteract that Wallenstein was in a relatively better position as he had secured his supply lines and could wait him out. But, as summer rolled in, the hot August weather came in, that all changed. He had around 55,000 troops and 50,000 camp followers, which were dragging on supplies, along with being a major drain on the local area for resources. Did these spread around the camp from vermin and other people? And funny enough, the success of rebuilding the army had actually backfired as his army became less efficient and more of a drag because it was so large. This left him unable to stop the Swedes from receiving reinforcements and supplies, which numbered around 24,000 men and 3,000 wagons. While those two were waiting each other out, we Moved to another part of the war. But we'll be back to them, don't you worry. Outside of those two commanders, Johann George was up to his own stuff. The situation in Franconia had been heating up and Johan George attempted to improve his position by sending out Arnim to attack and conquer Silesia. Arnim had around 22,000 troops with 7,000 of them being under a Scottish commander named Duall who was there to make sure the Saxons in Arnim stayed in line because those troops were made up of Swedes. The Imperial forces in the area gathered around 20,000 men to oppose them under a commander named named Maratus. Those imperial forces gathered near Steinau, which was an important crossing to the Oder River. He entrenched at Gallows Hill, which was southeast of the city, and posted a cavalry unit on Sand Hill, west of the town, to keep watch. The advanced guard of the Protestants, led by Duval, arrived on August 29th and engaged the cavalry, forcing the Imperials to retreat after two hours of skirmishing. The rest of the Saxon forces arrived, and the artillery was placed on Sand Hill, forcing the cavalry to retreat back to the main Imperial camp. The Protestants then sent 1,000 men to try to take the church and suburbs of the town, but the Imperials set it on fire, burning it down, but stalling an attack on them. Duval wanted to press the Imperials, but due to bad blood between the two men, Arnim refused, retiring for the day and letting the men rest instead of attacking the next. Day, he marched further south to Diban, where he intended to cross the river and cut off the Imperials. The Imperials attacked Arnhem on September 4th, but were repulsed and retreated, leaving a small detachment on the Stanau Bridge to hold it. The Imperials lost around 6,000 men versus the light casualties of the Saxon forces. With that success, Arnhem advanced taking Breslau and Schweidnitz, reversing the re process that was happening there, which, like I said before in earlier stuff, the re-cathalization was not the best move from the imperial front. The Imperials were then driven to the mountains, and Arnhem successfully conquered Silesia with less men than it took Frederick the Great of Prussia, although they were in a bit of a different situation. It was certainly an impressive victory, and losing Silesia was a major strategic blow to the Imperials, as it was a choke point for defense, and carrying supplies. And while this was a relatively small footnote in most people's books, Arden's achievement should not be ignored in the face of Gustavus. In the face of this loss, Wallenstein sent Hulk to invade Vautland with 10,000 men to punish Saxony, Vautland being the southwest corner of Johan George's territory. As Hulk pillaged the area to to Johan, Gustavus was put under pressure to break out of Nuremberg. He was reinforced by August 17th, giving him his largest army he had ever had so far, which was made up of 28,000 infantry, 17,000 cavalry, and 175 guns. Meanwhile, Wallenstein had been reduced. His raiding of Saxony reducing his forces to 31,000 infantry and 12,000 cavalry were not in the best condition. Gustavus still wasn't in the best position, as Wallenstein was entrenched on high ground and Aldringen was to the north of league forces, so his flank would be open to regardless who he attacked. There were also these things called abatis on the entrenchments, which were like similar to barbed wire, so that made it even harder to get through. The Imperials had put guns and other stuff at the ruined castle of Alta Vest, which would give the name to this upcoming battle. Gustavus' first move was to seize Firth and attempt to cross the Rednitz during the night of September the 1st to 2nd, as Gustavus planned to try to pin down Wallenstein with artillery from the east, while he Aldringen and another commander would attack the weakened western flank. However, the artillery was unable to suppress the Imperials, but Gustavus pressed on, attacking the League forces on September 3rd. The forces were on a wooded hill and there was a drizzle that made the guns slippery, making it impossible for the light guns to be used effectively. Gustavus initially was able to capture a few outposts, but the increasingly heavy rain and terrain, eventually forced him to pull back, losing 1,000 men and 1,400 wounded in the process. One of his generals was injured enough to be taken out for a year and the battle was heavily demoralizing for his army. It was bad enough that around 11,000 men deserted, leaving a total of 29,000 losses from the whole experience at Nuremberg, although many of those weren't necessarily soldiers, they were just part of the army. He also had only 4,000 cavalry left after that, or at least 4,000 cavalry that could be put on horses. So with this defeat, or feat on the battle at the least, he was forced to retreat from Nuremberg as he was unable to hold it and he needed a better foothold. He left on September 15th deciding Wallenstein was not an immediate threat and hoped to winter in Swabia. Wallenstein had only lost around 1,000 men but his army was in no condition to chase him being drained by disease and starvation and just general war fatigue. And most of his horses had died forcing him to leave behind around 1,000 wagons when he burnt down his camp on September 21st. He moved north and overran Franconia and sent men through northeast Bohemia to reinforce the troops raiding Saxony. The Imperials then occupied Mysend And corrupt troops were sent with messages saying that Saxony was burned, or as the phrasing of the book says, George wouldn't need candles for his banquet as the Imperials would now provide the lights by burning Saxony's villages. Brutal stuff. The Imperial and League forces then separated by mid-October at Kohlberg. Maximilian agreed that Pappenheim and the League forces would join Wallenstein from Westphalia in order for Waldringen to receive 14 regiments to reinforce Bavaria. This arrangement, however, did not satisfy both sides, Wallenstein claiming that Pappenheim did not arrive fast enough and the order had to be sent again to get the general to arrive. Maximilian resented the fact that Aldringen listened to orders from Wallenstein who recalled some of the regiments that he promised to Maximilian. So both sides were not nearly as beneficial as they thought it would be. The Bavarian forces returned to protect Bavaria and Wallenstein marched northeast to Saxony ordering the plundering to stop as he just wanted his troops to rest and prepare for war. So the Battle of Vest had been a draw as neither army was in any shape to fight after it was done. Gustav was definitely lost on the field but he had been able to withdraw in good order which is sometimes just as important as winning which if any of you know the Revolutionary War in the United States George Washington despite losing field battles was always able to retreat his army successfully in good order, so they could be in good shape for the next fight or at least not be an organized route or disorganized route Gustav's casualties were certainly high but those could be replaced and the reality of war was once again hitting both sides showing how large armies in one place for a month can be very rough for said army and the people in the area the victory did bolster morale for the Imperials but there was definitely cracks in the imperial league forces showing the disunity on both sides and with those battles covered next week we get to the big battle which is the battle of lutzen i want to thank you all for listening and hope you're enjoying it thank you guys for listening in for two years i wouldn't be here without you guys social media links will be in the description box or the, on the links themselves you can email me at 3 c o t at gmail.com Reminder driver Patreon and thank you to those who support me interview and spread the word and i'll see you guys next time